Hello. Um, I was going to preach on Hebrews chapter 11, but I've decided that we're going to go with Genesis 2. Um, last night I almost did this too, just, just because uh, thinking of missions, and I, I just really think that one of the core issues is we need to get back to biblical manhood. And um, you see in Genesis chapter 2, man, just as he, was, as he was created, as he was originally created, and really, if, if we're going to fix society, society's a mess. If we're going to fix society, we've got to first fix the church. The church is just a mess, evangelical church worldwide. And there's, there are bright spots, there are good things, great things that are happening. But really, in a lot of places, just a mess. And if we're going to fix the church, we need to fix the family. And if we're going to fix the family, we need to fix the man. And I really, uh, that's a major problem in Peru. Major problem in Peru. I know it's a major problem here in the United States. And uh, uh, I, uh, last night I was making reference also in, in the youth meeting about First uh, Samuel 17. Don't, you don't turn there, but uh, Goliath. He comes out and, and, he, and he yells uh, evening and morning. He yells, give me a man, give me a man, give me a man. And there were soldiers, there were all kinds of men there, but not a single one stood up to say, I'm willing to fight in the Lord's battles. No men. I mean, that was a major problem back in David's day. It's been a major problem down through history. It's a major problem today. Where are the men? If the men would begin to stand up and live as biblical men, as we see, I think, here in chapter 2 of Genesis, man, as he, is, as he was originally created, um, I think that we would begin to see revival. We'd see our churches change. And we'd see a different, uh, a different kind of emphasis on missions, and making Christ's name great among the nations. So chapter 2, Genesis 2, verses 15 to 18. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Lord God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We see man as he was originally created. Oh God, we just pray. We pray that, that you would help those men that are here. Help us to return. Return to living in the way in which you would have us to live the way that you created us originally. God, I pray that we would get our roles straight. Where are the men that lead? Where are the men that are willing to fight in the Lord's battles? God, it's been a problem all down through history. Such a problem today. Pray that you might raise up men who would love their wives would work hard, who would be about 
rebuilding the walls that have been broken down all over our nation, all over the world. Pray that you might use me to say the things that you want us to hear this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. That verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's the first responsibility that you see, the first role kind of given to man. What's what's talking about in one word? Work. Work. God gives man work to do. And a lot of people are kind of thinking, work, that's, that's a result of the fall. This is before the fall. This is before sin enters into the world. This is before Eve ate of the apple and then Adam afterwards. God made man and he designed man to work. I am absolutely amazed. Uh, We've had the opportunity to go in different places around the country. And I can't believe how many 30-year-old men live in their parents' basements and spend all their time playing PlayStation. It is it's embarrassing. I mean, they need to get a job. Uh, I'm sorry if you're here and that's you. I, I have the, the gift of offending people, so maybe you're offended. But I mean, this is the first thing that it says in the Bible about man and what he was created to do. He's created to work. God places him in the Garden of Eden and he's supposed to till it, cultivate it, take care of it. It's a job to do. God made men to work. And I think that's a major issue today. I mean, a lot of men just go around playing video games and volleyball on Monday and soccer on Tuesday and uh, pool on Wednesday. And I'm just really amazed. Some of my friends that I went to high school with, I'm 38. I'm like starting to get old. And some of those guys, they just play. All the time, just play. No work. God Made men to work. I have three girls so far. And, and they are, they're pretty. They are, they're, they're good looking little girls. And I'm kind of preparing myself for that day when um, some snot-nosed punk comes and wants to take them out on a date or something. And, and I, I'm collecting guns and everything now for that day, but... <laughs> I'm going to ask a few questions to that punk. I'm going to ask him. One of the first questions is, do you know how to work? I mean, that is the first role of biblical manhood that we see. Verse 15, this is the first thing that we, first responsibility that we see of a man. A man ought to know how to work. And now this is going to offend the older people a little bit. As this first, I mean, this first responsibility to work, and I don't think it ends until you die. Men, you work as a man and you get a little bit older and just because now you're older and you finished your career and you've got a retirement doesn't mean that you go and spend your whole life golfing away the last 25 years or collecting seashells. I mean... (laughs) Talk about a wasted 25, maybe you can retire at 62, 65, maybe you live to 90 then. I mean, we almost got about 30 years there, and these should be the best years of your life as far as ministry. Yeah, you're an electrician, you retire, you've got a good retirement, now you can kick it into high gear. 
You're self-supporting. Go out, impart wisdom to the younger generation, to the younger men. Dedicate yourself to ministry then. You're self-supporting. I mean, it is time to kick it into high gear. Where are the men, young and old, that are fulfilling that, that first responsibility of men? At least, I don't know if it should necessarily has to go in this order, but it's the first one listed. Men ought to be about work. We are a little bit stronger than the women. There are some women that are, are pretty, pretty tough, but uh, <laughs> normally God has made men a little bit tougher than the women. We can take it. We need to, to work. Uh, oftentimes, I'll come home from a river trip, and I have been, I have been slaying dragons, and I have been fighting battles and dealing with difficult situations and preaching all over the place. And it is, I'm sleeping like two hours a night and I get home and I am so tired. And I walk up to the door and I know what's on the other side. I am going to open up the door and kids are just going to come running from everywhere. And they're going to pile on top of me. And it is, it's a, it is a golden moment. I love it. But at the same time, all I want to do is sleep. I am so tired. And the dogs come running. And, and Amy comes and she says, the dogs have torn up the, these articles of clothing. There are problems in the church to deal with. We got bills to pay. And I just want to go and like curl up in a corner and like ignore everything. But I think of this. I mean, men, God made you a little bit tougher. It, you just did the, the secular work. You're out there slaying dragons and fighting battles, and you get home, and that's where the real work begins. At home, work. Putting bread on the table and work with your family. Where are the men? Again, Goliath said, give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Where are the men? There's just 40 days and 40 nights. Goliath says that. And no one shows up for more than a month. Finally, this youth shows up, David. Uh, that guy's a lot bigger than me, but he can't talk like that about my God. And I'm a man. Where are the men? Next, I guess real quick, an illustration of Bert Elliott here. I just think of this guy. Bert Elliott, he went to Peru when he was like 24 years old as a missionary, and the guy was a wild man from what I understand, just preaching in the jungle, in the mountains, on the coast, evangelism and planting churches, who knows how many churches the Lord started through them, but just, I mean, going crazy, working hard, and, and then you see him as he was a little bit older, and now he can't live in the jungle, the rigors of the jungle. It's hot, it's humid, it's difficult. Now he lives on the coast, a little bit more comfortable house and, and, and home life and everything. But still, he's working hard discipling young men. Now he's not open air preaching, going all over the place anymore. He's on the coast, living a little bit more comfortable lifestyle, but working with young men, discipling them, preaching as he went. Then he gets a little bit older. Now he's going over 80, and now he can't preach anymore. And he, he just sits in a chair at home, but still streaming lines of people to their house. Just man after man, young lady after young lady, going to their house, asking for advice. And he's just sitting there in his chair, giving advice and praying for people. And then he gets a little bit older, 84 or so, and now he almost can't even talk. 
And I got to be with him when he died and, and spending the last couple of nights with him. And, and I just remember he'd sit in this chair and, and every couple hours he'd need to get up and stretch his legs. And I would pick him up and kind of like we'd rock, we'd dance like this and, and try to stretch his legs out and get the circulation going. And I would just, I would quote to him Psalms or I'd tell him about how one of the churches in one of the villages that they worked in is doing. And, and we'd talk about certain, and I'd pray. And he could hardly even say anything. And all he would say is, he, would, he could understand well, and then he'd just eat out a, amen. I mean, that's all he said. And just like a tremendous encouragement to me. I mean, if that's what it means to get old in the Lord, give it to me. That is awesome. Biblical manhood. I mean, he worked and worked and worked, enjoyed life, enjoyed the Lord, enjoyed his wife, enjoyed the Lord's people but working from beginning to end. Where are the men that are willing to work and not waste their lives playing Xbox and PlayStation? Just throw it away. Okay, verse 16. Verses 16 and 17. We've got here the second responsibility, at least in this order, that it's given to us for man. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Basically, God has given a responsibility to man here. Men ought to obey. Men ought to obey their God. And they ought to lead their family in obedience. Lead their wife and their children in obedience. And you do that, first and foremost, by example. I mean, where are the men that really take it seriously to obey God? To walk with God in righteousness and in holiness. God, I mean, He gives them this whole garden and they can do anything there in this garden. The only thing that's off limits is this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. It, they're not supposed to eat of that tree. And, and then it's like, it seems like it's the next day that Eve is tempted by the snake. She eats the fruit. And it's interesting, Adam, there's every reason to believe that Adam is with her. He's like sitting back and he's watching the boa talk to Eve. And he's, huh, the snake's talking to her. He's just standing back, and then Eve takes it. She starts eating the fruit, and she's just, he's, the man is standing back just watching the whole thing. She's eating the fruit. Does it taste good? Give me a bite. I mean, he, he should have stood between his wife and the snake and said, this whole thing's between you and me. What are you talking to my wife about? This is between you and me, buddy. Instead, we have man immediately just plunges himself headlong into disobedience. And it seems like it's the next day or maybe within the next couple of days, it's not very long. And then man has been disobedient ever since. I mean, there just aren't men that know how to obey. Where are the men that know how to obey God and lead their families in that obedience? I think of this oftentimes. It is so easy to control other people and like, for the world, a man that control that a man that can control other men, that's that guy's macho, macho. That's a real man, and he the, the man that can get the most women and can drink the hardest, and, and the guy that can control other men. That's I mean that's a tough guy, but I really think I mean 
a man that can control himself. Now, it might be easy to control other people, but to control yourself, that's hard. That is really hard. The sinful nature, the wrong desires in my heart and in my mind, control that. That takes some serious self-discipline, some serious strength. That takes a macho macho. I mean, where are the men that know how to obey? Something that we say to our kids all the time, kind of have a code of conduct. It's not even a Bible verse, but I think it is biblical. It's actually, I stole it. I heard that Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table had this code of conduct. They'd say, live pure, speak true, right wrong, follow the king. And those are, those are great points. Live pure. Where are the men that live pure? I mean, internet pornography is like destroying the world. Destroying men. And that's destroying their marriages, destroying their families, destroying the church, destroying the society. Where are the men that live pure? Live pure. Ha, huh, I've got three boys. I just long for them to live pure. I got to give them an example. Oftentimes I tell them, hey, if we're walking by and there's some girls coming up ahead, kind of scantily clad, you're not sure what to do, look at me. Look at my eyes. Look where I look. I say that kind of as <laughs> I know that my boys are watching me. I better really take care of myself. Live pure. Speak true. I mean, the truth. Speak the truth. It is so easy to lie. Peru is like lying. Is, it's just destroyed the country. I mean, from the president all the way down to the, the littlest kid in the most remote village. Lying. The corruption has destroyed the country. Peru could probably be one of the richest countries in the world. But the corruption that has come in and, and really just the lying. It's like secondhand nature. I mean, that's everywhere. Not just Peru, it's the United States. It is so easy just to live a lie. Live pure, speak true, right wrong. You've done something wrong, fix it. It's your responsibility. If you've done something wrong, you need to fix it. Or if somebody's done something wrong and you saw it and you have some ability to be able to go and fix it, go and fix it. Right wrong, follow the king. King Arthur isn't our king. Jesus Christ is our king. And we ought to follow him. Men. That live pure, speak true, right, wrong, and follow King Jesus. Where are the men? I mean, this, this is just, you're thinking, oh, no. Mike is ruining the missions conference. You're supposed to be speaking about missions. <laughs> I, I just think that this is going back to the root of the issue. We, biblical manhood. And that will solve a lot of problems if we can... Just get back to biblical manhood in our families, in our churches. Where are the men? Another thing, I remember I was opening her preaching one time, and this guy came up to me, and, uh, and he said, I'm demon-possessed. I, I, I need you to cast out the demon. I heard you preach, and I just think that you've got the power of God, and you can cast out the demon. I said, you don't have a demon. And he said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. And I said, no, you're just addicted to pornography. And he said, how did you know that? And I said, what you need is you need to remember this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all begins with your thoughts. 
You sow a thought, and that's going to take you to a certain action, to a certain habit, to a certain character, to a certain destiny. The battlefield is the mind. Your thoughts. I'm sorry, I'm speaking to the men. The, the women can just go to sleep. Where are the men? The men that really control their mind, their thoughts, that live pure, speak true, right, wrong, follow the king. Men that know how to work. Men that know how to obey God. It's not that complicated. It might be hard. It might be hard. Control yourself. That's hard. But as you grow in the Lord, trusting in the Holy Spirit, the chains come off and you're able to have victory. There is nothing better than that. Free in Christ. Power to obey. Obey God. Um, an illustration, I guess, here, an illustration that I use a lot of times uh, in evangelism. Uh, I've heard that the, the Eskimos, in order to, to hunt uh, wolves, first they'll go and they'll hunt caribou. It's easier to find caribou, easier to kill them. Uh, they'll kill a caribou. Then they'll take the blood and they'll begin to, to uh, freeze it in balls, a big ball of pure blood. They'll put uh, a sharpened knife, double-edged knife, right inside there, get all this blood frozen around it, and then they leave that, leave that ball out in the forest. The wolves smell the blood and they come running. Blood! I mean, it's, this is like, uh, you guys don't have Tillamook ice cream here, do you? In Oregon, Tillamook ice cream is the best. Uh, I mean, this is Tillamook ice cream, but blood flavor. And they are coming, and they start licking that ball, and they're licking and licking, and be, before long, they get to the, the knife inside, and they begin to cut their tongue on the, on the knife, and then the, the blood is spurting from their tongue, but they can taste that blood. Yeah, it hurts, but at the same time, more blood, more delicious yumminess, and they just keep on licking and licking until they kill themselves. That's exactly what men are doing. I mean, for, for the love of the blood, the wolf kills himself. For the love of vice and sin, you're killing yourself. You're destroying yourself. you got to turn from it. Turn to Christ. He's the only one that can save. And begin to live a life of obedience. Where are the men that know how to work? The men that know how to obey. Next verse, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So interesting right there. It's not good for a man to be alone. Um, most men, they just, they should not be alone. They need to get married. Uh, I mean, there are some that the Lord calls to be single, but not very many. Um, a lot of young guys come to me and they say, I want to be a missionary, I want to give my life to the Lord, and what do I need to do? And the first thing, I just tell them, you need to get married. Uh, it, generally, generally. Uh, but I mean, it's not good. It says right here, it's biblical. I didn't, I didn't write it, it's not my fault. Uh, it, it says it's not good for a man to be alone, and I'm going to make a helper uh, suitable for him. Um, okay, now the women can wake up. Just a real quick point to the women. I'll make a helper suitable to him. A helper. Amy, I, I did this PowerPoint and there was a video last night and um, Amy, Amy actually put together the PowerPoint. There was like no pictures of her. I'm sort of embarrassed about that, but she put the PowerPoint together. She doesn't want to be in the pictures. Amy 
is a tremendous woman. I just can't even believe all the things that she does and how she supports me and helps me so much. I'm up in front and doing all kinds of crazy things all the time, and she is behind supporting me so much and, and, and raising our kids and, and, and investing in them and homeschooling them, and I've forced her to live in this difficult situation in the jungle, and, uh, and, and she's willing to do that. It, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, I remember about... Maybe this was about 10 years ago. We, we visited a, an assembly in Dallas, and we arrived at this assembly in Dallas. And, uh, well, we arrived at this house, a house of the el- one of the elders there, and uh, there was the man and his wife, and they had seven kids. And I thought, how irresponsible, so many kids. <laughs> we only had like three or something at the time. And, and, but anyway, we got there, and, and all the kids, I mean, they had their chest out like this, and they gave us a firm handshake, and we went into the house. The house was immaculate. It was incredible. I mean, I'd never seen a house like this before. It was, I mean, put together so nicely, and with seven kids, and, and, uh, and then we sat down for dinner, and the kids had cooked the meal, and it was good. I couldn't believe it. It was very good, and we sat down, and the husband sat there, and he was massaging his wife's back. Well, we had this conversation, we sat there, and, and her feet were up, and, 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 and he was giving her this massage, and the children were serving us the whole time. And then we got done, and the children washed the dishes, and they went about uh, making sure everything, the house was okay. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and they weren't like nerd kids either. They, this, is, this is what you're picturing. They weren't like that. They were cool. I mean, it was an amazing family. And I looked at the lady, and I said, this is, this is amazing. How? How did you do all this? This is, this is, look at your home, look at your children. This is, and she looked at me and she said, I could not believe it. I'll never forget. She said, thank you very much. I did everything for my husband. I, I just about fainted. I couldn't believe it. You, I thought she was going to say, I, I did everything for you guys, our guests. She did everything for her husband. I couldn't believe it. It was like, where are the women like that? I mean, this is the definition of a helper suitable to her husband. And I was like, Amy, did you hear that? (laughs) But then she elbowed me back and she's, look at how the husband treats her. I mean, he's given massages and everything. It It was incredible. When we've got our roles straight, I mean, it really transforms the family. This man, he loved his wife. He just loved and cherished his wife, and it was so obvious, and it made his wife's job a lot easier as his helper suitable for him. It was, it was incredible. But when the man's got his roles right, transforms the family, transforms the church. Tra- it will transform society. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Can you just hear Goliath yelling that out in his brute, deep voice? And there weren't any men. Where are the men? And then also thinking about this, the men loving their wife. Uh, How can you learn to love unconditionally if your wife meets all your conditions? I mean, it's really easy if your wife meets all your conditions. I mean, she's just perfect in every area, everything that you need. That's what she is. If that's the way that your wife, because some of you men are like looking at me like, Micah, you don't understand my wife is like, this is, I mean, I, I, I just, it's impossible. 
But this is actually a blessing that your wife is impossible. Because God is teaching you through this imperfect woman to learn to love unconditionally. And how are you going to learn that if she meets all your conditions? It's a blessing that the man doesn't meet all the woman's conditions. All the women are starting to like get a, yeah, listen to this. <laughs> women learning to love unconditionally because of the quirks of their husband also. I mean, vice versa. But a, a woman to love, a man has a work to do, God to obey, a woman to love. And, and you think of Romans 8, 28, and it, 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 the famous verse, all things work together for the good of those that love him. And then verse 29 is where we find out what the good is, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the good. So everything that happens in your life, including your marriage, is all designed to mold you and conform you to the image of Christ. If you looked at marriage like that, it might change a lot of the feelings of not happy in my marriage. It's not about being happy. It's about molding you, conforming you to the image of Christ. Verses 19 and 20. Now out of the ground, that was all introduction. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the, every beast of the field. Just a minute. After this, we see the first wedding. And before that, we just ended up looking at these different roles of a man. And we're looking at uh, sort of introducing this idea of a helper suitable to him, a woman to love, marriage situation. Why are these verses there? It's like seems really disconnected. Adam's supposed to give names to all the animals. And then it switches back into the marriage uh, first marriage here. Why, why are these verses here? No one knows. Uh, I don't know either. I, I think, I think Adam gets naming the different animals and he, and he said, look, here's a, a female elephant and a male elephant. Here's a male elk bull elk and here's a female elk a cow and here's a male deer and a female deer and he's going through all these animals he's like everybody's everybody's got their pair but there's none, none for me where's my pair this this isn't fair and right after that it says but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him I don't, maybe those verses are right there just to like make us think, Adam, he's going through all of the different animals and he's beginning to realize, I don't, I don't got my pair. I want one. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up in its place. And so the woman is, is fashioned and formed from a rib of the man. In Spanish, I've never heard this in English. You, you wouldn't say, my wife, she's my rib. But in Spanish, they say that. Es mi costilla. And, and, and it's great. Uh, it's biblical. She's my rib. You should start calling your wife your rib from now on. But I mean, why the rib? And I mean, we talk about this at weddings all the time. I mean, it wasn't taken out of a, a bone from the skull or anything so that she would maybe lord it over him. 
It wasn't taken out of a bone from the foot so that he might stomp on her and think less of her. A rib close to the heart. Someone to be loved and held close. I mean, where are the men that love their wives? I can like count on one hand the marriages that I look at and say, that guy loves his wife. I mean, I know they all love their wife, but I mean, it's not that obvious. Where are the men that really love their wives and cherish their wives? She was formed out of his rib, close to the heart. And of the rib... The Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. That is an interesting couple of words right there. Verse 22, brought her to the man. Think of that. that this is the, the first woman, the first man, the first marriage ceremony. Who brings the woman? God. Who's the first suegro? father-in-law the first father-in-law is God I can remember at our wedding we had like 500 people there and we were 19 and 20 and uh, I was up in front already Amy was in the back and her dad brought her up forward and uh, I was like shaking in my boots and, and and they came up and her dad whispered to me and like nobody else heard it but I heard these words and he looked at me right in the eye and he said, love her. Love her. <laughs> I mean, I, it scared me to death. And thinking about the tremendous responsibility, love this daughter of Doug Steller. I mean, incredible. I was scared to death. Can you think about this? This first marriage? First man ever, the first woman ever, and the first father-in-law ever, and the father-in-law. It doesn't say that he said, love her. But I'm sure, Adam, I mean, just at that moment, as he's being presented with the woman and thinking the tremendous responsibility, love this daughter of God. It's the same thing. My wife is a daughter of God. What a tremendous responsibility of how I ought to be treating her and loving her, cherishing her, taking care of her. Oh, men, if you just got married, you, you maybe should have thought twice. You know, the responsibility is, is very big, Craig. He brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, this uh, at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Real quick. He shall leave his father and mother. In Peru, I don't know about here, but this is a major problem, especially in the jungle. They get married, and they just live with mom and dad. And the guy keeps on playing on his, his Xbox. It, it, I mean, you got to move out. It's biblical. Like, you should be in church discipline if you don't move out, because the Bible says it right here. You've got to move out. You can't live with your parents anymore. And if you're like, well, we don't have the finances to rent or anything like that, well, then you shouldn't have gotten married probably. You need to move out of your, your mom and dad's house. I mean, all kinds of marital problems I've seen anyway in Peru that have generated from this. That young couple, newly married, they just live with their parents. And I mean, 
the mom is there and the jealousy toward the new uh, daughter-in-law and, or the new son-in-law. And I mean all kinds of problems. You just need, it says it right there. He shall leave his father and mother. Now, there might be people here that are doing this, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I have the gift of offending people, so you can, I'm not offended that you're offended. And then it says, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This hold fast to his wife. This is something that I see a lot also in Peruvian culture. I don't know how much it's true here, but I'm, the kids are the center of the family rather than the marriage. I mean, Christ is the center. And then as far as the human beings in the whole situation go, it should be the man and the wife at the center and then the kids. Men, your relationship with your wife is actually more important than your relationship with your kids. That might sound kind of bad. I mean, people have gotten mad at me for saying that. But that's a major problem in Peru. The kids are the center of attention. And then, I mean, the kids begin to get their way and they get in between the couple and divorce after divorce. And really, it's because the kids were at the center of the, of the family and it shouldn't be that way. Let me give you an illustration. Hold fast to your, to your wife. This is a bad and a horrible, horrible illustration that will never happen. But we're just going to make this story up. You come and visit us, uh, and uh, we go on a raft. Uh, we lash together some logs, and we're floating down the Wajaga River, and uh, we, we've got my, uh, no, no, you bring your whole family, and you guys are on the raft, and we're on our raft, and you're out there on your raft. We're going to say you have six kids, and, and, and you're all floating down, your husband and wife and six kids floating down. All of a sudden, the uh, pink uh, freshwater dolphins come and they start doing circles around your, your raft and they flip it over. They like to do that. They like to play with the canoes and things and flip people over and, and they flip you over. And now let's suppose that no one in your family can swim. You, the man, you're the only one that can swim. Your wife can't swim, kids can't swim, and you, we're going to suppose, another bad supposition, we're going to suppose that you can only save one person in the family. Your wife's drowning, your kids are drowning, you have to choose one. Who do you save? Save, a woman said, your wife. <laughs> Biblically, Ephesians 5, I mean, you see this illustration of Christ in the church, and Christ gave himself up for her, his bride, and you see that Christ gives himself up for his bride, and it's this illustration of the the husband ought to give himself up for his wife. I mean, this happens to me, and I'm swimming out there, and I swim, and oh, Bria, my, my 11-year-old girl, she's so precious. I love you so much, but I love your mom more. I got it. My dad used to always tell me, Mike, I love you so much, and I knew my dad loved me so much, but he would always tell me, I love you so much, but you know what? I love your mom more. And you know what? It didn't make me feel bad at all. I, I knew my, my family, my home was as solid as a rock. My dad wasn't going anywhere because he loved my mom. And it gave me security. Where are the men like that? Men that give that example to their children. Seeing how, they, how dad loves mom. One time I told that illustration in, in, in Peru, and this guy, he shouted out, I mean, everyone's drowning, which one do you choose? And he said, I'm saving the inheritance, I'm letting the old lady drown. I mean, that's the attitude of a lot of people. 
You want a solid, rock-solid foundation for a home. Children that, ra- that are raised in a secure environment. Love your wife. I'm just, I'm just preaching to myself. Where are the men? Where are the men? Men that are able to work. Men that know how to obey God and lead their families in obedience. Men that love their wives. Um, at the end there, verse 24, it says, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. I don't, this probably polygamy isn't the problem here. Um, I guess you could apply it in just uh, pornography also. But one flesh with your wife. Um, once I was preaching in one of my villages, everyone was listening. I sat down afterwards and was praying, and it was kind of like this stunned silence. And finally, after about 20 minutes, this family comes up to me, a man, two women, and six kids. And they came up to me, and they said, we want, we want what you're talking about. We, we want to trust in Christ. We want to follow the Lord, but we've got a problem. And the guy said, this is one of my women and my three kids with her. This is my other woman her carnal sister, and my three children with her. And she said, I love him. And she said, I love him. And he said, I love both of them. But what do I do? What do we do? I mean, complicated problems. And they have a complicated life. They have a real complicated life. If you want to avoid some complications in life, just just marry one. (laughs) But I mean... One flesh, it's starting to fall off. One flesh being faithful to one woman, lifelong. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Naked, it talks about sexual intimacy within marriage. In marriage, it's holy, it's good. It's something that God created. Outside of marriage, it's sin. There are all kinds of consequences and it destroys lives. In the villages where I visit and preach, I have put out the offer to all the young people in my villages, if any couple gets married, virgins, I will pay for the wedding. I am paying for the honeymoon. We are going to put on the greatest fiesta that you have ever seen. We've been in the jungle there. I've had that offer out for six years. And so far, I haven't had to pay a single one. Don't laugh. I mean, it is, it's sad. It, it, in, in these villages especially, I mean, usually people don't make it past 13 as virgins. Where's the purity? Where's the purity? Um, I think oftentimes it's Solomon. I mean, this being an example, purity as an example for, from your dad, seeing it in your dad. I think of Solomon. And I just imagine one day he was 13 years old and he's walking along with his dad, David, Hey, Dad, how'd you meet Mom? Well, I was up on the roof, and she was bathing down below. And Oh, but Dad, you looked the other way, didn't you? Well, son, not really. You know the story. I mean, no wonder Solomon had something like a thousand women, counting his concubines, I mean, the dad's got to model this stuff. Working hard, loving your wife, obeying God, living pure. Where are the men? 
um, your wife's biggest need is for you to be more Christ-like. I think that, I know, I know that's Amy's biggest need, for me to be more Christ-like. Goliath said, give me a man, give me a man, give me a man. From that actually first day of creation here, the first day Adam is, is meeting Eve, and then you see after this, I mean, Adam stands back and he lets his wife eat of the fruit, then he deliberately sins, and ever since then, the whole universe plunged into the consequences of sin, and ever since then, men, just irresponsible, wicked, evil men that don't know how to work, that don't know how to obey, that don't know how to love their wives or lead their families. Where are the men? If we're going to fix society, we've got to fix the, the church. If we're going to fix the church, you've got to fix the family. If you're going to fix the family, you've got to fix the men. Where are the men? I really want to challenge the men. Maybe today, maybe at this moment, to just bow their heads, think about where they're at before the Lord, where you're at in your manliness, and I mean biblical manliness, are you fulfilling your roles as a man? And what's the next step? As Goliath calls out, give me a man. Will you stand up like David and be willing to fight the Lord's battles? Be one of the few men that's committed to live pure, speak true, right, wrong, follow the king, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If we're going to advance at all in missions or in our assemblies, any kind of ministry, it's got to start with the men. Let's pray. Father God, I'm such a hypocrite in so many ways. I just pray that you would help me. Help us, Lord, to, to love our wives. Have so many problems in our marriages. Help us to be examples of obedience, examples uh, of love so that our kids can see that, examples in purity, examples as we work. God, we just pray that, that we would decide today, turn our back on the past, and from here on out, begin to live as men, as men were originally created. And then we pray that you would revive our churches. We pray that you'd use us to make Christ's name great among the nations. Might see families healed, men healed in different countries. But it all begins right here with the individual. We want to put ourselves into your hands, asking that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would transform our hearts and our minds. Help us to make a commitment today. In Jesus' name, amen.